in a series called How We Fight. And the question I'm asking is, what's, what would Jesus and his disciples, how would they respond to the cultural moment that we're in today? How would they respond to the brokenness of today's world? And how would they respond to this seeming pushback against God and, and his, his ways? And the good news is that actually many of the examples in the New Testament, they relate very well to today's culture. The New Testament church grew up or grew and expanded in a time when um, you know, their culture was very much against them, way more than we experience now. So there's some good lessons for us. We're not facing the same level of pressure, of course, that they were, but that drift away from God that we kind of experience more and more in our secular culture is becoming increasingly um, more difficult. God and the Bible in our culture are starting to, they're being seen as irrelevant. You know, our neighbours can't understand what's the purpose of the Bible. It's just this ancient book, it's not relevant to me. The church is irrelevant. That's, what, that's where we live now. It's kind of obvious to us. Pastor Mark Sayers, I've been quoting him a little bit through this series. He's from a, a church in Melbourne. He makes the point that our world likes much of the ideals of God's kingdom. You know, do good, tolerate each other. Don't cheat, don't steal, seek peace. You know, education for all, health for all, lifting people up, equality. We see that in our culture. That's, that's there and it's obvious. Those are, those are kingdom things. That our, that our world actually wants and embraces. But he says the world wants the kingdom. They just don't want the king. We looked at another quote from him uh, last week, and I don't have that on the screen, but he said that our world that we live in now is obsessed with feeling good. And as we know, feelings fade. You know, we fill our lives with what's going to make me feel good this week and this day and this month and this year, but it leaves people empty because there's a God-shaped hole that God is the only shape that fits into that hole. That's what makes us feel at peace. And so as the post-Christian world marches towards this mirage of the feel-good utopia, they jettison more and more of God and his ways that actually does bring good. And we feel it, don't we? The church is increasingly ignored as irrelevant. Sometimes it's mocked, occasionally even attacked, especially in other countries. You know, one of our missionaries, even this week, is experiencing that. And we're going to be praying for them on Wednesday night. So you should be here to join us in that moment. Some of you, though, have experienced pressure in workplaces, in your unis, in your schools. You've got to conform to to certain ideologies that don't always align with, with God's values. Last week, we talked about changes in the last few years to important life issues, you know, around abortion and assisted dying. And they concern us as Christians who who value all life because all life is made in the image of God. We're worried about the most vulnerable in our culture. So how does the church fight for God's kingdom and his values? That's what we've been talking about. This is week four of that. And the key verse that I'm leaning leaning in on is from uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. We are human Put it up on the screen. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. In a world where everyone gets offended, where people fling mud in, in the media and, the, and politics can be toxic at, at times, where ideology and the cult of personality is just normal now, where key, the keyboard warriors, you know, they demean and attack and bully and abuse. We don't wage war as humans do where the offended yell the loudest and demand and and shame until they get their way. 
We actually don't fight like that. We follow Jesus who brought the kingdom of heaven into the world by dying for the world. That's the example that we follow. It's kind of radical and upside down. It doesn't make sense to what we experience and what we sometimes want from within. You might remember week one, the, bat- the first battle tactic that we talked about was prayer. Prayer is not for the weak and the timid. I'm going to keep saying this because sometimes we think that's just for that group of people who kind of just like to sit and, and, and pray like that. That's not me, you know, those, those timid kind of people. Not true. Prayer is not just for the weak and timid. It, it takes discipline. It takes strength and perseverance. You've got to get into the, the prayer closet every single day. We've got to join with the wider church and around the world and pray without ceasing because that's what they, they did in the New Testament. There's, there's power in prayer. If we're not praying, we're kind of just working in our own strength. That's where the real power is. Battle tactic number two was from Romans 12, 21. And Paul says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is how we fight. We don't do it like humans do. So in that week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, the command from Jesus. He said, you should turn the other cheek when somebody hurts you. In other words, we don't hurt back. Everything in us sometimes wants to because it hurts. And we've got to get something back. But we don't do that as followers of Jesus. We don't hit back. We don't even hurt that person behind their back, if you know what I mean. You know, we don't don't bring them down and and make them pay in in a way that's not directly to their face. We don't do that. And then Jesus went on. He said, actually, I want you to do something good to that person or that those people that hurt you in return. Pretty radical stuff. And then he goes even further and he says, and by the way, followers, my followers love their enemies, you know, the, the ones that hurt us. And, and I'm, that was hard, right? We talked about how forgiveness plays an important role in this and, and how we have to, trying to love someone who hurt us is very hard. It, it, it's hard to do in our own strength. That one needs, needs God, absolutely. But we have God, so doable. In fact, commanded. And then last week was week three. We, we took that battle tactic again, um, Conquer evil by, evil by doing good. And we applied it to wider cultural issues in, in our society around us that we see. You know, how we as a church reach down to the least in our community and lift them up. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that on his return, he's going to separate people. And he's looking for something about his people that's going to identify them as how they care for the least. And he calls them, his, they're his sheep. He's looking for his followers. You know, this morning, speaking of that, kind of battle tactic. I actually had a long drive to church this morning. I was coming back from the coast very early, and I don't usually listen to 96.5, but I had it on just to get a little bit of worship music going. It was pretty good. And uh, they had Letitia Shelton on. Does anyone know her from Toowoomba? Yeah. Um, City Women is her organization. She just does amazing things. (laughs) And she told this story that blew me away. This is not in my notes, so I'm coming off the top of my head. But in Toowoomba, many years ago, the first legal brothel opened. It was going to open. They petitioned. They stood in front of the government members' offices. They wrote letters and phone calls, and it still opened. (laughs) Do you know what these ladies did? They went to the brothel, knocked on the door, and got to know the women. They didn't protest. 
or harm anybody, they got to know the women over years and found these poor, broken women. And, and she'd sometimes ask them, why do you do this? And one of the ladies said to her, well, I'm so used to men abusing me, I might as well have someone pay me to do that. That's the sad thing. And then get this. They had a women's gathering in their city. This blows me away. They asked the owner of the brothel to be the speaker. She was a lady. I thought, who would do that? <laughs> that's too risky. That's too scary. And what they uncovered was her testimony in this, in this time. She said, I was, I was part of a pedophile ring when I was a kid. This has been her whole life. And they loved her. There was a lot of tears. That lady's no longer the owner of that brothel. What an amazing Matthew 25 moment for those Christian ladies when you could be sitting there thinking, those people. Do you hear what I'm saying? It challenged me to the core. This week, let me start with Matthew 7:12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets. It's the essence that makes its way through everything in the Bible that you are reading. Embracing other people. It's our second mission statement. The essence of God's word is love people, embrace them. Love at its core is, do I care for others like I want to be cared for myself or that I care about myself? And it flows deep within, from deep within the heart. And I'm going to just say, real love, like we're about to read about this morning, has emotions attached to it. It's not cold. I, if we just don't seem to care about others, we have to consider if, you know, what's going on with our heart? Because God says we should have soft hearts. Well, what's the opposite of a soft heart? We're talking about love today. And the best representation of love is God himself. If you want to say, well, what, what's love? I say, look to God. Look to God. Here's what John says in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And then verse 8 is kind of quite direct and really challenging. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And if love is your struggle, the answer is here. By the way, if love is your struggle, I don't, struggle, I don't condemn you today. I'm pointing you to something. The answer is here. You, you may believe in God, but maybe you don't really know him. He knows you, but do you know him? So church, learning to love God is our journey to loving people. That's where it starts. And if there is a word that should describe the followers of Jesus, this is it, love. And, and you've, if you've been to church your whole life, you've, you've heard a thousand sermons on love and we sing it every week and we say it and we preach it and we pray it and... The word love can just roll off the lips too easily sometimes. People should feel it when, we're, when they're in our presence. 
you know, in our workplaces and schools, the followers of Jesus should not stand out as followers because they know everything. Sometimes that's what we go for. You stand out for the wrong reasons. You stand out because of how we love. Right at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, after Paul writes you know, this long message about the body of Christ, all the different parts that we have to play, that we all have to play. There's stuff about gifts and there's um, roles that we have and all those good things which are important. There's like a chapter in, of it in chapter 12 and chapter 14 has lots more in there as well. But right at the end of chapter 12, here's what Paul writes. This is verse 31 of chapter 12. He says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best for all. The best way of life, the secret. You should be all on the edge of your seat right now because <laughs> you want to know the best way, don't you? Here it comes, flipping over to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. If I could speak, remember he's just been talking about gifts. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If, if I gave everything I have to the poor and if I even sacrificed my body, that's going a long way. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I've gained nothing. Stop there for a second. In God's kingdom, gifts, abilities, talents, intelligence, faith, sacrifice, generosity, hard work are really valuable things. He values those things, but at the same time, they're worthless. If I don't love others first and foremost, imagine all those things, how beneficial they are to you, to, to the church, and yet the scripture says, I don't value them if you don't love others. We can talk about theology until we're blue in the face. You could even be an expert. You might have all the experience in the world. You might be gifted and talented, but in God's kingdom, it has zero. It means zero if you don't love people above everything else. It must be important to him. You could be a miracle worker and draw crowds in stadiums, but eventually you could just be a noisy gong and you start to wonder why people aren't listening like they used to. You could have an amazing ministry, but without love it doesn't actually represent Jesus. That's the thing. And so we gain nothing. We're talking about agape love. Agape is a Greek word found over 100 times in the Bible. It's different from other forms of love. At its core, agape love, it's a, it's a sacrificial love. It lays down our life for others. Jesus was the example. It has no conditions. It could have boundaries. But the love doesn't stop, no matter what happens. It unites and it heals. It's the kind of love Jesus most often referred to and displayed. It's the, it's the love of our Father for us, our Father God for us. 
We're not talking about romantic love or even friendship love. This is where the world goes wrong. They think there's only one kind of love. Agape love. This kind of love is God himself. And so the source of this love lives in us and flows out of us as we love Jesus more and more. That's why the greatest commandment has them linked. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor, that's everyone else around you, as yourself. Love Jesus first. And then the love he's calling to, the essence of all the law and the prophets, starts to become the reality for us. This kind of love is how we fight. This is how we conquer evil, church. By loving and caring for others, even the ones that are hard to love and care for. Remember we were talking about that from Luke when, when uh, Jesus said, you've got to love your enemies. Yeah, we know you love your family, but that's, that's great. But it's actually not, that's not that hard because everybody loves their family. The love that Jesus says, you've got to even love the ones that are hard to love. We're going to keep reading. Paul now paints a beautiful picture. And you can't turn your eyes or your ears from it. Because this is the first brushstroke of that beautiful picture in verse 4, the first few words. Love is patient and kind. Stop. Challenging question. When people perhaps think of you or whatever, is that how they would describe you? Is that, I mean, I ask myself the same question. Is that how people would talk about me, patient, kind. Patient means we're not easily annoyed with others. You know what gets me is I was literally writing these words and then I jumped on the highway and, was, and then immediately I remembered that I was about to preach to you about patience and not being easily annoyed. Something happens when we jump in our car and maybe it actually, huh, maybe like that's, that's where the revelation happens about what's going on in here some, somewhat. But the thing is, patient people accept others despite you know, their weaknesses and their faults. And over a long time. Because we've got faults, haven't we? I need people to be patient with me. I know God is. He's super patient with me. Thank you, Lord. When someone is struggling or they let us down or they have annoying habits even, love is patient. We see through those issues. We just see their value first, like Jesus would. What's going on in their life? They mean something to us. Sometimes we exercise this kind of love by patiently and gently guiding them through struggles and weaknesses. Yeah, but we don't rush to that. We've got to earn that bit of trust first. And kindness is an obvious trait of Christians. This is another sign of a soft heart. It flows from the work of the Spirit in us. Kindness is like a warm-hearted thing towards others. It's, sometimes it's even accompanied by a smile and a hug. And all of those here who don't like the hugs are going, is there an alternative? Yeah, there is. Shake hands, pat someone on the back. But kindness, you can see it in your face. When someone is kind to me, they consider what is happening in my life. They have genuine interest. Sometimes we're just too quick to talk about 
everything that's going on and we forget to engage the ears from others that are around us. We don't use the ratio right. The best word I could come up with trying to think of kindness like this is presence. Uh, you know, when someone is really present in my space and time, I, I feel it. They're, they're listening carefully to what I'm saying. They're putting themselves in my shoes. They find empathy. They're reassuring me that they understand. They're not looking to fix or correct me, although that might have to come at some point. At least, you know, it's not at first. They're, they're just being kind. On the other hand, a lack of kindness leaves me feeling anxious about being in someone's presence. You know, you can feel a bit intimidated, perhaps. It's hard to relax. It's hard to trust. They may not be obviously aggressive, but without kindness, you, f- you can feel it. That something's missing. And kindness has a way of creating close friendships that are a joy to be in. This is how we fight, church. This is how we overcome evil. Kindness is for the brave men and women of God who are willing to do the hard work of submitting to the Holy Spirit because he brings the transformation. This is what following Jesus does to us. It transforms us right at our core of our character. And hopefully people around us can see it. I hope you can see it in me over time. Paul now switches to what love is not. So we're still in verse 4. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Next slide. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. You know, not jealous means I celebrate when someone else has a win, when they do well in life, even if I'm not doing so well. When someone gets a promotion, you know, you're at work and you don't perhaps... Love is genuinely happy for them. It's okay to be disappointed. I think that's, that's going to happen. But it's not okay to be jealous because jealousy will cause damage. It, it's not love. You know, if you're in a business and another business has a win and you've missed out, disappointment is natural, but jealousy is not love. Same with boastfulness. Um, you know, being boastful and pride are the other words that Paul mentions there. They're kind of similar. You know, I think I know best. Look what I've done. You know, other people's admiration, we kind of go looking for it. Sometimes we like to elevate ourselves above others and and feel more important. We talk about ourselves too much and we don't care about others enough. Meanwhile, Jesus quietly makes his way to the cross for us, showing what real love is. God's very clear about pride all through the Bible from cover to cover. He actually says, I, I, I oppose the proud, but I elevate the humble. The best way that Paul is telling us about does none of those things. Verse 6, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Some of what Robin's going to be helping us with as a church ministry is helping people who have experienced injustice in our own country. Because love abounds in truth and justice, even when the truth can be hard and costly. People get hurt through lies, and they get hurt through injustice. There's no love in injustice. When people aren't treated equal because of race or gender or status or wealth or whatever it is, love doesn't abound when that happens. But the 
the church is called to live differently to that. That's why we speak up about injustice, maybe not enough. Because of love, that's why the church is very clear that all people are equal. We are all one in Christ Jesus. It says it in his word. When the world favors one group over another, we're abandoning, we're abandoning love and evil can win. The church should be at the forefront of this, but sometimes we're not, are we? There is no love in telling lies. There's no love in stretching the truth. Let me tell you something, church. Someone, uh, something, church, someone who tries to impress people with, with tall tales or lying to get sympathy, is they're, they're not loving themselves or the people that they're talking to, and often they're not loving the people they're talking about. Because lies cause damage, and if we lie to boost our ego or self-image or just to get attention, we're damaging ourselves. We're not loving ourselves. And then Paul continues the brush strokes. The brush strokes. Verse 7. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So there's no limits. Even in the pit of the worst circumstances you find yourself in, we actually don't give up on love. We may need more of it ourselves in those seasons, and that's okay. But we don't abandon love when life gets hard. We don't give up on that because it got hard for Jesus and he didn't give up. It got as hard as it gets for him. He's the example. And I repeat, love like this is not for the, the timid and the weak. This is the most powerful and courageous way that you can live in this world. Anyone can be hateful and angry and abusive and offended and filled with pride. If that's the path you take, it's nothing special. Millions and millions and millions of people will join you with that one. You won't stand out at all. We can be gifted and successful in the world's eyes. God says that's not a big deal. This is success in his eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It takes strength and commitment and honesty and integrity and sacrifice and most of all a really close walk with Jesus to love like this because we need him to show us and teach us and empower us to do likewise. And to not love like this, quite frankly, is the easy way. It is the easy way out. But it's not the ways of Jesus. Those ways that, look, can I just say, that's, that is the evil way. And we're overcoming evil by doing good. Imagine for a moment, and I include me completely in this, and I include our church, Hills Church, in this, but imagine a world where hundreds of millions of people in the many hundreds of thousands of churches around the world that proclaim faith in Jesus were filled with people who love like 1 Corinthians 13 says we should love. Imagine that, could you? And I'm not saying that we're a long way from it. I'm just, I'm just saying it, it's a powerful force. It's the better way. It's how we fight. It's how we conquer evil. Agape love is sacrificial. It's really powerful and life-changing. Loving like this can transform your world. Your family could change. Your marriage could change. You will have an impact in your school, in your uni, in your workplace. People will notice and ask you, why are you that way? They should be asking us that. I hope they do. I wonder if the word is speaking to you today. We prayed it at the beginning. Lord, speak to us through your word. It is living and active. I wonder if the word is speaking to you today. That's Jesus. He calls himself the word. 
I was adding some finishing touches to this message yesterday. I felt like God revealed something to me that I needed to finish with. As I was sitting and praying, God reminded me of the starting point of where this love comes from. And it starts with us understanding. Understanding, accepting, and receiving the most important truth you can believe and receive in your life. God loves you. I'll say it again for this side of the congregation. God loves you. In fact, Jesus himself said that his father, God, loves you as much as his father loved him, his son. Let me just repeat that. God the father loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus. God the Father loves you as much as he loves his son Jesus. You're sitting there thinking, I feel like that's heresy or something, Nathan. You know, that can't be right. Jesus is God. Like, how can that be? Well, let's check what Jesus said because here's his words in John 17, verse 23. This was a prayer he was praying for us today, by the way, for all who were to believe. And it was right before he went to the cross. He said, I am in them. Jesus is in us, in other words. And you are in me. The Father is in the Son. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. May they experience that you love them as much as you love me. That's a lot of love. In case you think this is some kind of flowery NLT translation, you can go check the NIV, the ESV, the KJV if you want. It says the same thing. God the Father loves me as much as he loves his son. Do you accept that and receive it today? That's the starting point for loving like Jesus did. God loves me as much as he loves his son, even though I've let him down, even though I've rebelled at times, I've sinned. I haven't loved like he has loved. He pours out his grace every day for me because he loves me and I live in those arms of grace. I feel like there's two groups of people here today. There are those who can't believe that, that God loves me like that. He knows everything that you've done and said or thought, and yet his word still says it, that he loves you and that his grace is for you today. It's time to stop resisting and instead confess and receive that grace and his love and to live in it. Then there are those who have heard the word today and you're followers of Jesus and you love him, but maybe you feel a little convicted by this passage on how we're supposed to be loving others. If you feel that prompting from the Holy Spirit, I'm going to just tell you today, don't resist, confess and repent. Repent means I'm going to change. So as we close today and sing our last song about God's amazing grace, the prayer team are going to be at the front. I'm going to head straight to them myself. And I invite you to follow me to 
the altar. I'm going to confess that sometimes I'm not as patient as, with people as, uh, as Jesus wants me to be. And at times my kindness has, has had limits. Too, too many. Too many limits. As I, as I delved into the word this week, many of them came to mind. And I know I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be good at these things. But God's telling me, he's showing me, Nathan, because he loves me, I want, we've got to do something about this. And when I do, it's going to be better. I'm going to, receive, I'm going to experience that life to the full that God keeps promising me. I'm going to ask for prayer here at the altar this morning and God's going to, you know, I'm going to ask him to help me go deeper into, what were we singing earlier? Love, love, love. Go deeper into love, love, love. Like our good father does. Because here's the thing, God has shown me his grace. I live in it every day. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to hold that back from others. And I'm going to invite you to do likewise. Let's be the church that we read about this morning that really loves like that. You can be really good at theology. You can be really gifted. And, I, and thank the Lord for that. He's calling us to love. My heart's pounding for some reason right now. I feel like God's inviting us into something. We're going to come to the altar. You can come carry in team if you want to. Come to the altar for either of those two reasons. I want to receive the love of God, but I'm struggling to believe it and to receive it. Or there's something in my life I'm not loving like God wants me to, like Jesus showed us. It's not sacrificial. Then you come and pray. If you don't want to pray with a prayer team person, you don't have to do that either. You can just stand and pray, but they're going to be here. It's a beautiful picture that Paul paints for us to not just look at. This is not going to be a picture on a wall in a museum. It's a beautiful picture that we can live in and experience it together. So, Father, let this picture be Hills Church more and more. Let love flow. Let love flow. Because, church, this is how we fight. This is how we conquer evil. I invite you to stand. Prayer team, come forward. Let's speak to God and let the Holy Spirit do a work in us this morning.